Welcome back to the AEC Disruptors podcast, your platform to help push the AEC industry forward. I'm your host, Christopher Dell, and joining me today is my co-host, Jackson Sensat. What's going on, Jackson? Nothing much, Christopher. I'm glad to be here for another episode. Absolutely. This one is a good one. We uh, talked to Lou Veronini. He is a solutions specialist here at Applied Software, and um, we talked a lot about blockchain and blockchain in the AEC. So what did you think? Uh, Did you know about blockchain coming into this? So I did not realize that I knew about blockchain because when I first heard the term when we were prepping for this podcast, I was like, oh, this is some weird architect word. Didn't even realize that it was tied to, you know, cryptocurrency and now, you know, even more recently, NFTs, (laughs) which are on the rage. Um, But yeah, there's a lot in this episode. This really could have gone well over two or three hours. Um, You know, Lou's definitely very educated on the topic, and I know I learned a lot. And, uh, you know, I think I might be a blockchain supporter, uh, you know, for the AEC industry. It seemed like there's a lot of op- opportunities in terms of utilizing its uh, ledger technology for things like smart contracts. And, and I, I always go back to, um, I had heard Lou, and he, we talked about in the episode, he had heard of Bitcoin when it was uh, just a few cents and, um, and he kind of passed. And now we look back and it's, you know, $50,000 and I can't help but just feel sad every time I, uh, Every time I hear that, but it was a good episode. I thought uh, Lou brought a lot to the table. And like I said, I mean, we could easily have a whole another another episode just on blockchain. I hope you get the chance to check it out and check back for more. Join us today on the AEC Disruptors is Lou Veronini, a uh, solution specialist here at Applied Software. How's it going, man? Pretty good. How you doing, Chris? Doing good, doing good. Um, we're excited to have you today because this topic is something that we haven't touched on that we know a little about, if any. But so today we're going to talk about blockchain. And before we even start, I really want to know, like, why is this something that you even started kind of going into? Uh, yeah, you know, and I... I've known about cryptocurrency for what seems like forever. I was friends with some developers back east, and um, they were into it right from the get-go. Um, but I never, I really kind of overlooked it at that point. It didn't seem that interesting to me. Um, but then a few years down the line, after I was doing um, BIM for about 12, 13 years, I started thinking about a reality capture startup. And so I went to the... Uh, the big expo they had in Denver a few years back. And when I got there, I learned a whole bunch of different things that I didn't know before. And one of those was the big issue is, was no longer um, getting a scanner and taking in the data and registering it. There are a lot of people doing that, but it was about data distribution and how you could control and manage data. And so I just started to tackle that problem. It just happened to coincide with the, um, I think it was the December 20, 2017 Bitcoin uh, ramp up where it hit 20,000. And, you know, I had been buying some Bitcoin previously that year. And so I had crypto on my mind and I had this project on my mind of how to distribute data. And it was kind of also tied into um, engineering firm I was working for at the time was looking at ways because they're a, a large local with like 100 years of data and they've got just networks, uh, you know, just servers full of data. 
and how to um, manage and organize that data geographically. So I had these three things on my mind. Um, and, then, and then I looked into these smart contracts and what you could do with distributor, distributed ledger technologies so this DLT. And what I found was you could basically solve all these problems with this technology um, because it could provide um, a database where you could geolocate data uh, on a map. So if you're going to use Esri as your database, um, you could employ a crypto, not really a crypto, but blockchain. And there's a big distinction here. Um, you, could, you could employ a blockchain to geolocate that information. So whether it's a brand new reality capture scan that you just took and you want to distribute that, you could um, geolocate that. You could put it on an open database and then uh, hand out the keys those encryption keys to the people who are allowed to see it. And so that would provide just basically solves all those solutions. Now that technology isn't exactly here in a turnkey usable form today, but it's coming and, it, and it, it'll be here. Um, I'm, we're told within the next, what is it? 21, four years, we got about four years and it's supposed to be, well, we're supposed to be there in four years. So that, that was my original, interest in it, it solved a bunch of those um, problems that I was looking into. And so ever since then, I've just kind of been on the bandwagon, kind of looking at this and saying, all right, you know, um, I'm probably, I'm not a developer, you know, I'm a BIM guy, uh, but I'm going to follow this real close. And when things start to move, that, that you know, you're, you're going to be, I'm going to be ready and waiting to jump on this train. So just waiting um, for that train to leave the station. <laughs> Yeah, so I remember because um, I saw it on one of our internal uh, communication things that you you knew about blockchain or a Bitcoin pretty early on, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to share yeah. any of that? <laughs> sure. Yeah, you know, and this is the other thing too is um, I think one of the reasons why I'm watching this so closely, um, and it's it's not a um, it's not it's not it's not going to be a get rich quick thing. This is just a tool that we're going to employ, but. The ramifications for our industry are going to be just like any other industry. We're all going to adopt it. Um, the idea that Bitcoin is a, a fad or a phenomenon and that blockchain is going to go away, not going to happen. We're, we're it's going, it is going to happen, <laughs> uh, essentially. Um, so I, I first I first learned about Bitcoin um, back before it was even worth a dollar, <laughs> and this is, yeah. And I had a developer <laughs> buddy of mine saying, just just put in, you know, just buy twenty. $20 worth of Bitcoin, just buy $50 worth of Bitcoin. And I said, well, maybe let me think about it. And I thought about it and went up a little bit more. And I said, well, that's pretty good. That's not bad. You know, in four or five months, you had like a 20% return. And I said, well, that's not bad, but it's still not worth a dollar. And then it exceeded the dollar. And, and now I said, it's well, like 54,000. I know. And I said, <laughs> well, this is not going to work because who's going to give a, a dollar five for a digital dollar, it, you know, it's going to cost more than a dollar. And I just did not grasp the concept of um, how, how, how the Satoshis were broken up. Um, in my mind, it was supposed to be pegged to the dollar because that's what I understood. And, you know, in a different timeline, who knows, I might have put in 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> there's another universe in which you're very rich right now yeah maybe right <laughs> <laughs> so um so we, you, we've kind of talked about a handful of the main terms but if, if we take one step back how would you define yeah. um 
blockchain or what would you say blockchain is? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, really at its core is it's kind of like um, two different things that really come together to make it work. And there's two different aspects. So really blockchain is the distributed ledger technology, which essentially reads like if you were to think about this as in terms of a checkbook. Okay. Um, so just say that Christopher, you've got your checkbook and Jackson, you've got your checkbook. And Christopher writes the check to Jackson. Jackson deposits it in his bank. It shows up on his account. Well, think about blockchain as a third ledger that lives on the blockchain. It's not controlled by any single party. It's a trusted consensus type network. So it can't be changed. Um, once you initiate that transaction, it's like, it's, you know, written on blockchain. It's like written in stone. You're always going to show that transaction. And so what that does is that enables you to actually transact um, value or, or assets or data or whatever it is that you're, you're distributing in such a way that it's verifiable and that it does not require a central authority. So you're distributing that, um, that exchange without using a bank. Um, there is no one to call outside of, you know, the two of you in, in that transaction um, so it's trustless in that you don't need to rely on Christopher's goodwill or Jackson's goodwill to know that that transaction occurred exactly how you have it recorded on your checkbooks, because there is a third checkbook on the blockchain that is storing all that information of that transaction. And it's an open ledger system so that you, you can go in and look at it and follow that transaction all the way back. And it's immutable. You, you, can't, um, you can't really take it off the blockchain because every single transaction is recorded uh, to the blockchain through these nodes. And there's so many nodes, you would actually have to go, if you wanted to fudge a number on that transaction, you would have to convince um, the majority of the nodes that transaction is invalid and replace it with your actual false transaction. And it's virtual, it's impossible to do. It's basically impossible. Um, so that's the first part is that distributed ledger technology. And that can be used for things way beyond just cashing a check or sending money or currency um, to someone. It, it could be used for tracking all sorts of assets, um, understanding um, where, where uh, production is. So you could actually track production on a distributed ledger and, and even track like days of construction or something as simple as that. And you can have, here, here's where we were supposed to be on contract. Here's where we are, what happened, record all those transactions of just days of construction time. Um, so anything you could imagine. So that's the first part is that distributed ledger technology. And then the second part of it is where it gets even, and they work together. So that gets even more interesting. And that's called a smart contract. And a smart contract is a piece of code. It can have um, human language written into it so that we can understand it, or it could just be a straight computer code. It, it could be a number of different ways. I think that hybrid of um, half uh, human language and computer code is where most of these are settling into. Um, but what they allow you to do is actually initiate and cause a transaction on that distributed ledger uh, that we were just talking about. And why that's important is this, is um, if you were to set up 
a smart contract. And, and let's just say that for just to make this really simple, um, you, were, you were a manufacturer of an AC system and you had a large piece of equipment and the contractor purchased it for this building project on behalf of the owner and put that, that order into his system. And it's dependent upon it being delivered at a certain time with, a, with the correct specifications. The moment that that contractor checks that piece of equipment in and says, yep, this is the right equipment, it's here on time, and it meets um, all of our specifications, and he checks it in, and this can all be done through the building information model, that, would tr that, that checking it in and approving it automatically transacts the payment for that equipment. And what it does is it really speeds up the whole construction process because now that manufacturer, he's got that, that company has an incentive to get that machine there on time at the correct spec because that's what's going to drive his income. He's going to get that as soon as it arrives. And we're going to eliminate all the administrative paperwork of, yeah, you know, I checked it in. And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send that email out to my person in my office who's going to verify that, yeah, I've checked it in. And they're going to contact the accountant over on the contractor side, who's going to then ask for more money from the owner. And this, this whole chain work of events essentially is set up ahead of time in a, in a smart contract. So it's supposed so to automate the, the payment process a bit. Exactly. Yeah. So that's one big use case right there. And that's probably... It, in my estimation of things, that's probably what, where we're going to see it in construction first is that whole supply chain, um, because also on that supply chain, you can track where that equipment is. So that can be on the blockchain as well. Well, it's on a, it's on a ship, you know, it, it's, it's leaving Seattle, it's on its way to Panama, and then it's on to wherever it's, wherever it's going. Um, you could you would be able to track that also through blockchain. So that's already being used by the big shipping companies. So that's just an adoption. That tech is already out there. I want to get um, Jackson's perspective here on this a little bit from the construction perspective. Before I do, I want to read this stat that I found when I was doing some research. And it talks about the smart contracts and it looks at the construction industry. And in 2019, there was uh, $64 billion worth of late payments in the construction industry. 43% of the subcontractors had to wait 30 to 60 days to get paid. 30% had to wait more than 60 days to get paid. Um, it goes on, and that was just in the US. And then it looks at Canada, and, and accounts receivable in Canada increased from 62 days in 2008 to 70 days a couple of years later. Um, and so in the same period of time, other industries actually saw a decrease in their accounts receivable. And so there's several countries in the last, you know, 15 years or so, U.S. being that one in 2019 that are seeing like vast numbers of simply just late payments. Mm -hmm. And, and it said that COVID, um, sort of exacerbated this a bit because, there are contractors in a way you're kind of living paycheck to paycheck. You're doing one job, waiting on the funds from the other to keep, you know, yourself kind of moving forward. And there's a lot of contractors, these smaller ones that were really struggling during the, during the pandemic because of this. And so Jackson, you know, I'm curious it, what your thoughts are on this idea of using these smart contracts to start to automate this process and really expedite 
how those funds are, are transferred. Yeah. So in construction, cash flow is everything. And it, it all starts at the top. It all starts with the owner who pays their general contractor typically monthly. And then from there, the general contractor distributes the payments to each subcontractor. Each sub pays their subs and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's something that definitely would play very nice with, you know, blockchain technology and smart contracts because, you know, the payment from the owner to the subcontractor triggers this and so on and so forth. But the most important thing is just making sure that you always have that cash flow. And then the next most important thing is making sure you have buy-in from every party within the project. Um, so, you know, this was one of the questions I was going to have, you know, who's going to be the main driver of this adoption within the U.S.? And when it came to building information modeling, it was typically the owner. Um, I see it being the owner for blockchain as well um, for this reason, um, because, you know, you basically want to have a flow where these payments happen on time, every time. Um, but, you know, the cash has to be there and the buy-in has to be there. Yeah, so Lou, I was gonna ask, um, you know, I know I mentioned that the main driver more than likely will be owners within the US. Um, do you think that the main driver is gonna be owners in the US? Or I read that, you know, in Australia, the main driver is actually the Australian government when it comes to uh, using blockchain. Um, I don't see that happening here, but I do want to know what your thoughts are, um, because, you know, the best person to, you know, get buy-in from all the parties um, is, is the owner, <laughs> you know, the yeah. one who writes the check. So what, what controls the money? Yeah, I would have to agree with you that it would be the owner here anyway. Um, yeah, one of the one of the primary reasons for that is because finally we have a system where the owner is now in control of their project and they're directly connected to the financing and the data and they're in the driver's seat. So they no longer you know, need necessarily to have all these uh, workflow avenues going through the GC out to the contractors, um, especially on the design side, it really puts the owner in control because now they have, they have um, and there's a lot of, so we're going to have a lot of red tape with legalities before it really takes off. We're going to have to figure that out contract law. So law tech is going to step in um, and do their part soon enough. Um, but yeah, that puts the, that puts the owner in control. The owner is now in the driver's seat. Um, they, they, it's their data. They're buying it. It's being manufactured or created by the designers. Um, but now it's out on the blockchain and, and they can record the hashes of that data and distribute it as they please. It'll, the keys are in their hands at this point. So I think they will be the drivers. And I think that's what the industry is already starting to see. Um, and that appears from my research to be um, what most of the um, blockchain startups are going for is the owner. Yeah. One thing I saw in, in a similar article that was talking about the smart contracts is the um, it plays to this idea, but that for it to be fully implemented, it was talking about needing buy-in from all parties. Not, I mean, the owner may be the driving factor, but creating the system that is sort of the implementation has been done by all of those involved, which I think is interesting because in a way it does require a level of commitment from every single individual. 
And, you know, we've had things like BIM that was always a top down. I think this would be a top down in terms of uh, wanting to start to pursue it. But I'd like to get y'all's thoughts on this idea of how should everyone, being the designers, the contractors, subcontractors, is it something that all of them need to sort of come together to, you know, to, to implement properly? You know, what do you think, Lou? Oh, yeah, I would agree with you on that. If you are a contractor and you want to participate in the project and they're going to use blockchain for whatever it is going to be, um, you know, documentation, design data, um, payment distribution, any anything that's going to happen, you're going to have to accept that or you're probably not going to be able to play, be a player on that project. Um, fortunately, though, I, I don't know that on the outset, it's going to be that hard to adopt once the technology has been developed, because this is these are all going to be um, simple smart contracts that are repeatable, and so you're not you don't need you know if you're if you're a con even if you're a general contractor, it's not like you're going to need to hire a developer to write code for your contracts. Um, these are probably going to end up being determined by uh, law tech slash government slash uh, big software companies are going to create a uh, basically like almost like a contract on a form letter and you're just going to have a regular sign off um, it's not going to change necessarily how you contract it's going to change how you get paid but it is going to make a difference in your deliverable because it's going to uh, through that smart contract it's going to change the way people approach their work in that um, when you get paid when something is completed and not a minute before, you're way more incentivized to finish that job and have it done correctly um, than on a, on a traditional contract where, yeah, you might get fined or whatever, but it's a part of the project. I, I think it's really going to speed up the whole design and construction process because that incentive is just going to be there. And then there are um, add-on add on smart contracts that are going to work the same way as your typical contract. Um, you know, if you're on time or early, there's a bonus. And if you're late, there's a daily fee for being late and it's just built into the smart contract. So not too much is going to change about how we contract in that sense, just, um, just that, that imperative sense of, you know, this is written, you know, on the blockchain, there is no phone call that can be made. I've agreed to this. So it's going to make things a little bit more difficult, but it's also going to make uh, huge changes in responsibilities. So hopefully we're going to get um, better, better outputs, um, better inputs from designers, better outputs from construction firms, um, because it's going to, there's this immutable contract out there. Um, but like I said, there are also things that can be added in distributed ledger for bad weather days, for example. And that can also be tied into that, well, you're a day late, but I, you know, I'm one day late, but I had three bad weather days and that's out of my control. And so that's also built, you know, you can build all these one on top of another. So it can get complex. Um, somebody's going to have to figure all that out. I think we're going to start with simple things first and progress on, uh, you know, from, from our supply chain is probably where we'll see it first um, and progress on from that point. I was just going to say, I can already see it on the job site. We, you know, GC's got their weather station over their oh, yeah. job site trailer. It's connected yep. to the blockchain. Actually, yes. it, it, it rained a lot more that day than you said, you know, uh, concrete 
you know sub or something like that so or it didn't I, rain like you said it did yeah and i and i love jackson that you said and they're gonna have their weather equipment tied into the blockchain so it's gonna record you know this is our wind this is our rain this is the temperature and that could be recorded to a blockchain as well it's really there almost is no limit to what you could do with it um and it's just that immutable source of truth and you combine that with bim and you've got this powerhouse mechanism for construction into the future. It's it's gonna it it is it's as big as the internet was 25 years ago when it just got started. I saw it's been, it's funny you mentioned that because I saw somebody's quote was like blockchain is like the internet internet of value. And and I don't necessarily know where they were going with that, but um, you know, I think something about this idea of this real-time tracking of assets is kind of interesting. You know, you you joked about you could put the weather on the blockchain or track the weather stats, but um, and and now it makes a little more sense because when I was doing additional research, I came across this idea of like you know, blockchain kind of eliminates the middleman because it um, decentralizes everything, right? And so their example was, and there's a pilot program actually in Brooklyn where if I'm a homeowner with solar panels on my house. I can sell back if I chose, I could sell back the, my energy consumption, that extra energy I've built up. I could sell that back to the utility company and they'll pay me, you know, cents on the dollar or something. Uh, but with blockchain, and this is this pilot program they're doing, they're tracking the solar energy, just like any other asset, but you can actually sell it to your neighbor through the blockchain. It takes out the utility company and you can directly impact, you know, um, whoever is, is nearby. And so I want, I want to get your opinion, your thoughts more on like, how do we see this idea of like tracking assets really being a good use case for, for blockchain technology? Yeah, I think, hey, that's, I, I haven't heard of that solar power uh, transaction right there, but that's beautiful. I thought it was I, cool. I love that. That is so awesome. And it makes so much sense. And you're right. It, it takes out the middleman um, because we don't need that trust. Um, you can just set that contract and, and there's your transaction. And um, it's actually a lot more efficient of a way of going about it. Um, and now looking at that asset tracking, you know, aside for, you know, aside for tracking like hard assets, uh, you know, like a shipment of lumber or something like that to the job site, uh, through that asset tracking, you can do a whole whole bunch of, uh, geez, it leads into um, so many other 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 avenues, such as IoT. You know, if you have that same system that's it's tracked that uh, air air system from the manufacturing all the way. You know, it's, and now it's being tracked as part of the BIM. You know, it got put into an assembly. It's a part of an assembly. It got put into the BIM model. Now it's a part of the building. Well, even after it's part of the building, that same blockchain can still track that asset. And now it can be used with IoT. Um, and, and so that, that filter, the, the filter on that system might have a, you know, a, a one-year lifespan. And so the BIM model could be used to track that lifespan of that air filter and automatically tell facilities management or even better initiate a smart contract to reorder itself as soon as it's about to go out or have an IoT sensor built in. And so it's an if and uh, 
if or type situation where all right well it's got a one-year lifespan it's a just-in-time ordering it's going to take two weeks to get here so the bim model essentially the digital twin is what we're talking about now at some point um, automatically orders that filter two weeks before it needs to be installed automatically writes up a contract for the contractor to come in and install the filter tell facilities manager to have labor on staff to to install that filter and you know if the if the iot sensor senses something going wrong even at six months that could also be programmed to automatically trigger the purchase of the new filter so now we're talking about a building as its own uh, decentralized autonomous organization. And that's all managed through the BIM model. And this is where BIM and blockchain really come together and it starts to say, oh my God, wow, what else could I do with IoT, BIM models, blockchain, everything that's going on with it? And it's almost, you know, it's like the internet 25 years ago. It's only limited by your imagination. And of course, developer time. <laughs> the AEC Disruptors podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and champion innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. You know, I could see, I want to come back to the idea of some of the real-time asset tracking, but real quick, I could see where things like integrated project delivery become more prevalent because um, you know, I studied this back in school uh, almost 10 years ago, and it was like just now going to happen. It's happening now, but we got to figure out a few things. And then you look at it today and it's almost that exact same excuse. It's not as mainstream. It's, you know, it's not as often. But one of the things that always came out of that was an issue with insurance and trust. Um, because with IPD, you have this idea of like these shared risk and shared incentives. And, and I could see something like a blockchain um, help to elevate the idea of integrated project delivery, because having some of those, well, one, being able to track, you know, even the authoring potentially of some BIM model, who did it, when they did it, at what time, it starts to eliminate or increase the transparency. As a result, it starts to reduce some of the risk because now some of that, those decisions are getting taken away from us. It's just happening. We can start to trust a little bit better. I'd be interested to see if we see an increase in the two of how blockchain can improve or hurt the idea of a true integrated project delivery project. Yeah, I would say you're right on target, Christopher. That is... Um... Probably as soon as I realize that it could be used to geolocate data, um, allowing you to do all that stuff, my the next thought that I had is, could I could I actually issue a license for the data that I've created? And of course you can. There's been some experiments that have been done, and this is the new the new stuff that's coming out right now is kind of following that logic of, you know, we've got. Let's just keep it simple. We've, we've got an architect and we've got um, a structural engineer, MEP engineer, and a civil design engineer. 
and they're all coming together to work on this project. And let's just say in this example, they're actually just making one BIM model out of all their talents. Um, so who owns that data? And, and some people say, well, of course the owner owns data. Of course the owner, you know, the person who is paying for this, it is their data. Um, but it's also, um, you know, this is, this is um, protected uh, design data. You know, uh, the architect has a right to that data. All the engineers have rights to that data. And so how do you decide who owns the data? And blockchain can help solve that through the issuance of, of keys. Um, so that could be a part, and it doesn't need to be a smart contract. It can be a regular contract that lines it out. Um, but essentially, you, you could encrypt your data sets at the app level. Um, and without the keys, you wouldn't be able to see that data. So, uh, for example, let's just say you had an owner that purchased design data from an architect. And let's just say you're not using smart contracts to pay for it. You're still paying things traditionally. And the owner fails to pay. Well, the architect has that initiative that they wanted to, they could change their public keys to their data. And then the owner would not be able to access that data. I'm, I'm not proposing that that's how it be used, but in the same sense, each, each of those contractors um, that are working on that project can own their data, choose to share it with who they wanna share it with. And then it's also great for project handover as well, because now you can hand over the keys. Um, and every, everyone that has the key has essentially the right to the data, and that can all be administered um, pre-crypto or pre-blockchain uh, contract, um, however you want to look at that. Um, so there's a, there's a huge, huge um, use case when it comes to contract management because, and what it boils down to is this, you can audit all the data and it's not as if you have to store all the data on the blockchain, that would be currently really expensive um, to actually put all the ones and zeros on the blockchain would be ridiculous with you know, gigabyte size files. Um, but what you can do is you can encrypt the files and then store them, each person could store them locally or on cloud servers and distribute keys that are uh, identifying the hash of that particular model at that point in time. So all your contract data, for example, and I look at it this way, we are, we're, we're really, we, we print to PDF and we're good with that. And uh, many of us who've been working on cloud models, we're, we're good with publishing to the cloud, right? So you take that one step further at your you know, completion of SD and CD phases and whatnot, well, hash that to the blockchain. Um, that hash would contain all the records of what party made what design decision and exactly the time that they did that. It's all traceable back. And so this, this leads us into um, a, higher, a higher stake for each individual because this is going to lead to, a, it's not going to eliminate, but it could lead to a lessening of litigation, but an increase in responsibility for each individual providing that, that design data, um, because now you have all these records that are immutable um, that you can't argue with that you have basically agreed to by consensus on the blockchain that this is where my project was at. Um, this is what we agreed to at this point uh, for whatever phase that we were in. And, and now that BIM model uh, becomes that single source of truth 
Um, and it, it, it no longer has to go through this litigation process of, well, who moved that wall that changed uh, where this plumbing was gonna come up, which changed the cost of the plumbing and a rework and a refab and all this, all this, all these things that triggered. But in the same sense, um, you know, that plumbing contractor would also have to know because they're also agreeing to the BIM. So they should have seen that and should, should have pointed out and said, hey, um, this is going to cost more and, and you move the wall, not me. And so let's readjust our contract because now I'm going to need more pipe and more people and whatnot. So, Jackson, come from construction. I mean, how do you see um, something like blockchain? I mean, we just heard about how we can use it to really we're creating a digital asset that can't be copied that we can track, you know, from every single decision. I mean, how do you see that really helping or hindering the construction process? Um, I think it would be a huge help. Um, the last project I was on, we had a rule that if it's not in the model and you're in the way of somebody who is, um, you know, you have to take all your stuff down and get out of the way and figure out, you know, your own routing, which I loved because, you know, we had everything in the model all the time. Um, but I think, you know, you know, just this process of being able to keep your receipts and how everything's timestamped, everything is fully visible, all parties are bought in at all times, it really increases accountability and accountability is what's needed the most on the job site. Um, because, you know, you're at the end of the day, you're on your own team trying to make your company money, but at the same time, you know, you can't be successful on a project if the team as a whole isn't successful. So going through a process like this would really increase that accountability and just make it a lot easier to track things. I mean, a big part of my job was just tracking stuff, you know, and that was all on me. Um, so having something like this to help and, you know, allow me to do the things that I like, like planning or, you know, things like that, that'd be really good. I think one of the biggest things with blockchain specifically in construction, because, you know, as we know, people in construction are not, they don't like to adopt technology as quickly as people, you know, in the, on the design side um, is to, um, you know, detach this from currency, because when people think of blockchain, the first thing they think of is Bitcoin. Um, and that's if they even know what blockchain is. <laughs> um, so I think it, there needs to be a focus, especially for people in construction on, no, blockchain isn't exclusively used for currency, but rather anything that's an asset, what, whether it's information, air handling units, um, things like that. I, I think that would really help with adoption and construction. Just I, Of course, you'll never remove the currency aspect of it. That's extremely important but also pushing home, no, this is about information, asset tracking, and things like that. I think um, it reminded me of this quote that I saw, um, and I'm going to read it so I don't mess it up, but it made a lot of sense because it talks about what you're just saying about removing it from the perception of just the currency part. But what it says is that uh, it's important to not just look at blockchain because everybody's doing it but rather understand the fundamental change a well-implemented, open, and immutable blockchain offers to the industry over paper um, and decade-old uh, databases. And so it kind of goes to that exact point is look at it not just because everyone's doing it or it's a buzzword 
or because it's, you know, cryptocurrency is like the new fad, but actually think about what would a change using, you know, a well-implemented open immutable blockchain do to our industry over the, our antiquated paper and old, old databases. Right. And for the RFI and submittal process, I'm not exactly sure, you know, how it would work with blockchain, but I think it would be a huge help to just have full transparency throughout the whole process. Because from my subcontractor perspective, I had no idea if the general contractor had even received my RFI or if they'd even sent it to the architect, you know, where it's at in the process, things like that. So what do I have to do? I have to email, I have to call, I have to nag, nag, nag. And that's for both RFIs and submittals. Using something like this where it's fully transparent, it's trustless, as they say, um, mm -hmm. you know, it would be a huge help for the subcontractors because, you know, you know whether or not the general contractor has checked out your RFI and sent it on or not. Um, so it, it increases accountability in that process, too. So as we kind of wrap up here, um, you know, we've talked about a lot of the use cases. We've talked a lot about just kind of the overlying thing. You know, Lou, what are your thoughts or suggestions on, you know, what do we do next? If we're just now starting the conversation, you know, where do we start to take it or where do we start to explore implementation? Yeah, yeah I think um, I think my primary interest in it right now is about design data. And so I'm looking at it primarily from an architectural designer's uh, point of view and looking at it to do a couple of different things. First, I want to protect my design data. Um, I know that building information models are easily copied and distributed, and I, I might not want my information just going and, you know, there's people I want to share it with who are on my project, and then I don't want, really want to share it with the rest of the world um, because it, it's, my, it's my design. Um, so one of the first things, one of the first places I see it being incorporated is at the app level, just being able to encrypt your data. Um, distribute the keys to other people on the project, much like giving them permissions to your folder. And I, I kind of see it going this way. I kind of see Autodesk in a few years time, um, you know, offering it into BIM 360. If you want to encrypt your, your data sets on BIM 360 or some other distributed, you know, collaborative platform. So I see it starting like something like that, where, where you're just protecting your data but you're also protecting yourself because you're also recording those hashes. And through that, there's a whole, geez, once you get that, once you get to that point there where you're actually encrypting your data or at least recording that as a hash that you're saying, this is my design at this point in time and this is what I'm delivering. Um, once you do that, the whole world opens up to what you could do with that. So this is called like assetizing data. And when you start to assetize data, it, it not only answers the question of who owns the data, because the person who owns the data is the person who holds the keys or has access to the keys. Um, so either you own it or you're, you're given access to it through those keys. And so that, that providing that encryption, and it's not just encryption, it's that validation of that data um, and how that can handle dispute resolution, um, your design data security, um, how you can use those, that encryption and that validation with those keys for project and document handover. Um, and then you get into that BIM asset management 
where where you actually could uh, potentially sell data. And so this is where I started and it's still where I end up is um, when I was thinking about doing a reality capture business, one of my ideas was to scan a downtown and get everybody's front door scanned and then offer them the keys to their front door as a segue into getting into the building, scanning the building and, and getting more business that way. But just introducing that concept to the owners of look, um, here's data. It's on a live open network. You can, you can access it from anywhere with these keys, but without these keys, nobody can access it. So nobody else has your data. And that was gonna be my feed for productivity is to just, just hand the keys to your own front door as a startup. And I think of that, that that concept would still work. Um, I, don't, I don't know, the numbers would shake out with doing all that free scanning because that's a lot of work. Uh, <laughs> Um, but that's, that, that was a concept I had, but I think it introduces the idea that um, you can have this open network of, uh, of data repositories. So say I'm the engineering firm or the architecture firm, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to set up my computers necessarily to mine cryptocurrency, but I could track my BIM hours that I'm putting in. And that could have a blockchain relationship to project data value uh, to some extent, right? Because we have varying um, degrees of how good you are and how fast you can produce BIM. So it's not a one-to-one. -one. You know, it's not like one hour of BIM from, from this, this guy is the same as one hour of BIM from a different firm. It's not quite that same way. But um, if you think about it, it could replace this concept of of in cryptocurrency we mine and we make computers do all these algorithms to figure out this you know algorithm to prove that this transaction happened and in this instance we could assetize our data prove bim hours into that data hold the data on our server distribute it freely it's not a copy it's replicated it's replicating that hash stored on the other person's computer and then at the end of the day that date data is stored, we can search for it through the blockchain via the hash. And um, we could actually provide some rewards um, in terms of BIM power, if you will, an hourly amount that we think something is worth. If I go and I search this geolocated database of all these different firms, uh, because I don't wanna go in and take another scan if there's already a scan of that building, if I can just go and find it on the database, and say, is this, is this data for sale or could I access this? And typically, if you think about it, if it's the owner that really owns that data to begin with, the owner could say, well, I've got the keys and I'm gonna hand you the keys and you're gonna go and do this remodel with a, with a uh, uh, LIDAR scan that was done from another project two years ago, but it's the same data, you can access this, here's the key. And I can log in and I can search for that hash find the hash and then whatever node that that came from. So if you're a big engineering firm, I would run a whole node of all my projects. And if I serve up that data, there's a reward for serving up the data that helps pay for your servers. So we can really start to think of this as a whole ecosystem and a process where we're going to commodify our design data. We're gonna assetize it. Um, we're gonna allow it to be publicly searched um, but it's only privately accessed. And so it's a whole new way of thinking about data storage for our industry and the way we 
the way we um, own and assetize and how we think about our data. And so I'm really excited about just moving forward on something like that. And I think that because it be becomes this decentralized network of data, um, it could really transform the industry away from, I, I, should, I was gonna say away from large mega corporations, but I don't think that's actually gonna happen. I think they're gonna get more powerful. Bigger right? bigger. But, yeah, but I think that it will actually help level the field a little bit. I think that the, um, the, the single person out there who wants to just buy a LiDAR scanner and go to work and take some scans and, and jump into the game, it would make that viable for that person. You would be able to um, play like a bigger player right off the bat because that data is now decentralized. And because it's on the blockchain, you're not responsible for, you know, I have my, my BIM platform and I need to create a whole website and users to log in. I can just tie in and just, and just use what's out there. Um, but that's still not yet created. So still, still waiting. We're still waiting for that big player to come up and step up to the plate. And I, I kind of, I kind of think I've got a couple ideas of who, who might, but I think it's going to be this, this consortium. So like the construction, uh, constructionblockchain.org. That's where all the big players are hanging out. Um, that's the only place I would go that would recommend you go to start your research on it. If you're looking into it, um, it pretty much will tie into just about everything that's going on. You can find it through them. And it's just super exciting. Um, all the all the big players are there and they're figuring it out. So it's just a matter of time until a little guy, you know, a little guy, uh, a single with a LiDAR scanner. <laughs> yeah, a single one guy with a LiDAR scanner will be able to jump into the game and show what they can do and and, and have a successful, easy startup. <laughs> Very so cool. I guess that answers my your your first question from earlier in the interview. Like what got me started into it was uh, man, it's a tough market to jump into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, this has been good. Um, Jackson, any other final thoughts? Um I was going to ask you if you were talking to an owner or developer about the potential for blockchain on their next project, um, what would you say? And I think you just answered it anyway. Um, so I appreciate it. This has been great. Thank you. We've enjoyed it. No, this is beginning stuff, man. Well, we'll have to have you back once we spend more time researching blockchain. Yeah, I'm still I'm still looking into it myself. There's so much to learn. I'm, I'm like just on the fringe of it, but I'm, I've got a a grasp of what could be done with it so Very really cool. appreciate being able to just chat about it so um so lou before we yeah. end up we've asked everybody this how would you define disruption uh yeah so disruption is where you come in and you change you flip the script or you change the game for everybody um because you don't have a choice it's that much more whatever you want to call it efficient better um and once that happens, it's disruptive because you don't have a choice. You kind of have to go with it or you're going to get, it's not so much about being left behind. You're going to lose money. You know, you're, you're not going to be as profitable. People are going to take business from you because you can't, you have chosen not to follow what's going on. So that to me, that's what's disruption. What defines disruption is that it, it fundamentally changes the industry and it's, you can't go back to the way it was. It's just not going to work. You won't be compatible with your own industry if you don't conform to this new disruption. I think it's a perfect uh, definition for it. All right, man. Well, it's cool. been fun. 
hope you guys have a good rest of your day and I'll talk to y'all later. Thanks for listening to the AEC Disruptors podcast. Enjoyed this episode? Leave us a rating or review while sharing with your friends and coworkers. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a LinkedIn request or follow our LinkedIn page and let me know if there's a topic you'd like to hear. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. The AEC Disruptors is directed by Christopher Riddell, produced by Todd Wyant, edited by Eric Daniel, and co-hosted by Jackson Sensat. The AEC Disruptors is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2021-2022.